the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There can become this exclusive mindset among the Jews that we're God's special people and special messiah and everything's jewish and so it's all for us no it's not all for just the jewish people it's for the whole world that's why when peter recognized after cornelius and his family get saved that god was working even among the gentiles that's when peter said back in chapter 10 i now realize how true it is that god does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. Have you ever worked somewhere or been a part of an organization where it felt like one group of people were special? Or at least they thought they were, so they acted as though only people from their group could take part in certain activities. The hardest thing for that group to understand can be that although they play a special role, the organization is for everyone. Today, Pastor Gary discusses how Jews had had a hard time accepting that God is for everyone, not just them. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts, chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So in chapter 10 of Acts, a very important event occurred, which was the, the, uh, the entry of Gentiles into the kingdom of God, into the early church with the salvation of one whose name was Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was an officer among the Roman army. He was over a hundred men, thus a centurion. And the Bible says at the beginning of chapter 10, he was, Cornelius was a God-fearing man. He was devout. He was generous. And, and yet, as we talked about last week, and as I'm sure many of you are aware, you know, being a good, godly, God-fearing, generous person isn't enough to get you to heaven. Uh, there's none righteous, no, not one, the Bible says. The Bible says we have all fallen short of the glory of God, his perfect standard. And so we're all sinners by nature, and by nature we sin. And thus, even though Cornelius was a godly person, he was devout, he was religious, he didn't have a relationship, that relationship being with Jesus. And so there are a lot of people in this world today who are like Cornelius, Good, decent people even would, would define themselves as a religious person, maybe even very generous, just like he was. But all those things are not enough to get us to heaven because we fall short of the perfect standard of God, and so therefore we need a Savior. We cannot get there by our own merit, our own works, our own good deeds. 
We have to come through a person. That person is Jesus. That's why he said he's the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Cornelius, being a really decent guy, praying man, devout religious guy, didn't know Jesus. And so God, in his providence, sends an angel to appear to this guy in a vision. And Cornelius is just kind of caught off guard. He's, he's living in Caesarea, up on the coast of Israel, to the north. And, um, and this angel appears to him and basically says to him, paraphrasing chapter 10 now, that, that God has seen and God has heard, uh, but, but you need to know something more than just, you know, the religious aspect of, of God. You need to understand the relationship. And so what the angel says to Cornelius is to send some of your messengers down about 30 miles south to Joppa, where there is a guy whose name is Peter, Simon Peter, and he's going to come up and he'll tell you the message. He'll tell you the rest of the story. And so Cornelius just wide-eyed, eyes as big as dinner plates when he sees this angel who appears to him. He's just like, okay, this is awesome. Sends a couple of his messengers down to Joppa where Peter is, the apostle Peter. Now, this is beautiful how God works at both ends because in Joppa, there is Peter staying at the house of a friend whose name was Simon, who was a tanner by trade. Peter goes up on the roof of the house because the roof was an extension in those days of, of the house. He went up on the roof where he fell into a trance, chapter 10 tells us. It also says he was hungry. Those two things usually go together. Do you know what I'm talking about? He was hungry, fell into a trance. And in this trance, it's somewhat like a, a vision. He wasn't really asleep. He wasn't really awake. Kind of this middle range where God gives him this scene. And the scene is a bed sheet that is being lowered down. And in the bed sheet, lowered down from heaven, are all kinds of unclean animals. And there's a whole list in Leviticus about animals that the Jews were not supposed to eat. They were not kosher. Even to this day, strict, orthodox, or conservative Jews will abide by kosher and non-kosher food. I remember a friend of mine who, who was Jewish, and, and then he came to faith in Jesus. He said, Gary, the first thing I went for was a pork barbecue sandwich. <laughs> I said, yeah, I get that. I get that. I'd hate to give that up. Shrimp, too. Now he's a big seafood eater. But in the day, you couldn't eat certain foods. Now, Jesus declared all foods clean because he says what goes into man is not what makes a man unclean, but it's his heart that makes a man unclean. It's the issues that emanate from the heart. So... Peter is seeing this vision of these unclean animals, and the Lord in the vision says to him, get up and eat. And Peter says, not me, Lord. No, never. I would never eat anything unclean. And God says, don't you call anything unclean that I've called clean. And by this, God was trying to expand Peter's horizons to recognize that, in fact, the issue here was people. That God was showing him the aspect of how you, Peter, as a strict Jew have dismissed certain people as being unclean, as being not included in the kingdom. And those people are Gentiles. And so God in this vision prepares Peter for the messengers that are coming from Caesarea to Joppa to get him. Because God works at both ends. He's working at the end with Cornelius. He's working at the end with Peter, preparing Peter. You're going to hear a knock at the door. No sooner is this trance over... When Peter hears the knock at the door and hear these guys from Caesarea coming to get Peter to come up to Caesarea and give Cornelius the rest of the story. So where we ended with chapter 10 was here Peter is in Joppa, which is also on the coast of the Mediterranean. It is a beautiful town. 
And he goes then, he follows the, the messengers. He's been prepared by the Lord for this. He goes the 30 miles to the north up to Caesarea where Cornelius and his family are. He preaches to them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. He barely gets through a five-minute sermon. Okay, don't be praying for that. You're not going to get it tonight <laughs> unless the Lord takes me home. But, uh, but he, he barely gets through a five-minute sermon, and Cornelius and his household believe, baptized by the Holy Spirit, and then following that, they're baptized by water. They're baptized, they're dunked. They're, they're baptized as a profession of their faith in Christ. So then it tells us at the end of chapter 10, look at the very last sentence of chapter 10, very last sentence, then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So Peter hangs out in Caesarea for a few days. I'm sure it was a great time of discipling them a little bit in a few days, trying to communicate to them some things. They're brand new Christians here. So he has a a, a small little discipleship program with the household of, of Cornelius. And then chapter 11 tells us that Peter goes from Caesarea back to Jerusalem. He doesn't go back to Joppa. Joppa was just, he was on his way to Joppa to minister to people and to do some little missionary work. But now he goes back to Jerusalem. When he goes back to Jerusalem, the news about what has happened in Caesarea precedes him. Because there's going to be some Jews who are believers in Jesus, and they're going to call him on the carpet. They're like, we can't believe that you've gone to the house of Gentiles? Now, look, this is mind-blowing for Peter, too. God had prepared him through the vision with the sheets of these unclean animals. But, you know, Peter is a guy who's had to stretch in his whole understanding that the kingdom of God is open to all people. Because originally, for the first 10 years of the early church, it was made up exclusively of Jews. Not until you get to here to Acts chapter 10 with the salvation of Cornelius, a Gentile, is, is there this awareness now that, oh, Jesus Christ actually died for the whole world, not just Jews. Jews are God's special people in that he had a designed plan to redeem the world through a race because particularly there would be a Messiah from that race who would die on a cross for the sins of the whole world. But there can become this exclusive mindset among the Jews that we're God's special people and special Messiah and everything's Jewish and so it's all for us. No, it's not all for just the Jewish people. It's for the whole world. That's why when Peter recognized after Cornelius and his family get saved that God was working even among the Gentiles, that's when Peter said back in chapter 10, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. He gets to Jerusalem and the Jewish believers in Jesus, these are, these are believers, now are questioning Peter about what in the world happened in Caesarea. You know, this is the days, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's no email, but word traveled fast. Peter, the strict Jew, has been hanging out at the house of Gentiles. What are we going to do with this? So that's, that's what chapter 11 is about. Take a look here, verse 1. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Now note that. They hear Gentiles have become believers. So, verse 2, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, 
Even though it's going south, they always say going up to Jerusalem because it's a, a high holy place. The circumcised believers, that would be the Jewish believers, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, I want you to notice what they say and notice what they did not say. They did not say, what in the world is happening with Gentiles getting saved? That was not their issue. Their issue was, how in the world could you, a Jew, go into the house of a Gentile? Folks, understand, in these days, and yet I dare say, even among those Jews who were believers in Jesus, there there had to be a change of a complete mindset. The common Jew in this day believed that the sole purpose of a Gentile in the world was simply to be fodder for the fires of hell. That was it. The purpose of Gentiles were to be fuel, kindling wood for hell. In fact, Pharisees would wake up, no offense, ladies, okay, I'm just going to tell you what they used to say back in the day, all right, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Pharisees used to wake up every morning and thank God that they were not three things, a woman, a dog, or a Gentile. That's harsh, isn't that? That is harsh. So that's the culture. But you need to understand that's the mindset because now these Jews are coming unglued. They're like, they're like, what in the world? You went into the house of a Gentile, these unclean, uncircumcised people. You need, and you, and you what? You ate with them? Now understand culture with this as well, okay? As Christians, we do a lot of things around food, okay? It's, you know, I mean, especially if you have a Baptist background, you've eaten a lot of chicken and potluck dinners in your life. Do you know what I'm saying to you? I mean, I had a Methodist background, man. We had potluck dinners at our, at our church growing up regularly. And I can remember as a kid, always wanting to get to the front of the line because somebody would always bring a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. And if you weren't near the front of that line, it would be an empty bucket by the time you got there. I can't tell you how much bitterness I had to work through as a young child getting up to that table and that bucket was empty. I'm working through it. I'm fine. But I'm just telling you. So... But you have to understand, if that, if that is something that we enjoy, getting together over a meal, you have to understand, it was even a much deeper level for Jews, and particularly Middle, Middle Eastern cultures. The issue of food is a connection. It's not just, you know, oh, here, you know, have a sandwich with me. This, a meal in Middle Eastern culture, even to this day, is seen as something that unites the people participating. They even had this general belief. You know, it wasn't mystical. It was just, this is the mindset that I'm going to eat from the same loaf of bread that you're eating from as we break bread together, and the same thing nourishes me that nourishes you, and it strangely connects us, and it unifies us. So a sharing a meal was, was much more about unity and connectedness and fellowship and, and this oneness aspect than it was just, you know, filling your belly. So that's what's alarming to them because in essence, what Peter did was by going into a home of a Gentile and eating with them was he was acknowledging his oneness in fellowship with them. And these believing Jews have trouble with this because they don't, they don't understand what Peter's come to understand. So Peter's going to help them understand it by recounting for them the vision and the circumstances from chapter 10. I'm just going to read through it. It's a straight read because he's going, to, he's going to recite what I just summarized. So take a look at verse 4. So Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa praying, 
And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house, that man being Cornelius. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, "'Send to Joppa for Simon, who was called Peter.'" He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning, referring back to the scene in Acts chapter 2. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Okay, so that's, that's his defense. And it's a good one. He just tells the story. Peter says, look, you know, I, I had this, I, this trance, this vision, the sheet, this, the kosher stuff. God said it was all clean. I understood actually that it was preparing me to accept people that I had written off as unclean. So God's opened up my heart and opened up my eyes to realize he died for all. And who am I to say who God can and cannot save? And so he says all this. And verse 18 says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. This, this is, this is completely a, 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 a brand new experience for these Jews to recognize and they accept it wonderfully. They're like, wow, we didn't realize this. God is saving Gentiles too. This is incredible. Be careful that you don't write people off especially the people who don't look like you. If we were honest, there's probably a list, an unspoken list in our head of people that we've thought over the years, that person would never get saved. And when you think that, worse, say it, you're actually saying something about God. You're saying that he's not capable of saving people that you think are not savable. Be careful. Who are we to say who God can and cannot save, will and will not save, that Jesus dies for all and all can come to him freely and God can work miracles to change the hearts of people and he has done it, he is doing it, and he will always do it for his glory, amen? And so don't write off people and don't think to yourself, that person will never get saved. Pray for them, pray for them, and pray for them. I know stories about people that have been prayed for for 20, 30, 40 years, and then they came to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't give up. Keep praying for them and keep believing God was able to save and do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could hope or imagine. Their eyes and their hearts are now open to the reality that Gentiles can be saved. Now, verse, uh, verse 19, let's read on. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, remember that story? Was back in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of the first deacons, was martyred for his faith. He was killed, stoned to death, right outside the city walls of Jerusalem. When that happened, the Christians in Jerusalem got scared, and so they scattered. Because they didn't, they didn't want to die either. Well, as a result of that, 
They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Now, it's going to take a while before they realize this gospel is for all people. And, and in this section here of chapter 11, we're going to see that for the first time, not at this particular juncture, but in a couple of verses, for the first time, there's going to be an intentional evangelism towards Gentiles. But first, it talks about where the believers are being scattered. Now, I'm kind of a visual person, so I wanted to put together a map so you can understand uh, what's happening in terms of geography here. So, so I've pulled out the map now so we can have a wider view of the Mediterranean region. And, uh, and, and, and so one of the first things it says here is, is that uh, they traveled, as they're scattered from Jerusalem, they traveled to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. That's in verse 19. So Jerusalem is in the lower corner of your screen there, the lower right corner. And they, the Jews who are believers in Jesus get scattered. They get scattered uh, first to Phoenicia. Now, Phoenicia is a region. It's not a city. And so I've shaded it there in gray on the map. It's basic, basically a coastal region, which would pretty much on a map today be Lebanon. And so that's where Phoenicia was, that region. So some of the believing Jews went north to Phoenicia, which is between Israel and Syria. Others went to Cyprus. Cyprus is an island there in the Mediterranean. Some went there. Some also went to Antioch, Antioch of Syria. Now, this is going to become one of the most important towns related to the early church. So keep that in mind, Antioch of Syria. Now, today, if you look at a map, Turkey actually comes down and borders Syria. And so Antioch today is actually just across the Syrian border in Turkey. But at, in, at this particular time, it was considered Syria. This is Antioch of Syria. Don't get confused. There are a couple of Antiochs in the Middle East at this time, but this is Antioch of Syria. And that's where now some of the early church has scattered as a result of the persecution and the martyrdom of Stephen. Verse 20, we've got some more places. Look, verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. All right, so we already mentioned Cyprus. Cyrene is a city located on the northern coast of Africa. Remember Simon of Cyrene? The guy who was the one called by the Romans to carry the cross for Jesus, he was from this location, Cyrene. So we have men from Cyrene, believers from Cyrene and Cyprus, and it tells us that they went to Antioch. So people from Cyrene and people from Cyprus went to Antioch. And what did they do? It says there that they went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. That just basically means Gentiles telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So again, here's the first intentional missionary journey of believing Jews to try to reach non-believing Gentiles. People from Cyrene and Cyprus go to Antioch. Antioch was a very important town at this particular time, one of the third most populated towns of the Roman Empire in this region. And so it's, it's a place where there's a lot of people. In fact, it is believed that there were as many as a million people who lived in Antioch at this particular time. 
And so they go there to tell them the good news about Jesus Christ. And verse 21 says, The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So now we've got Jew and Gentile. The early church now is growing, and it's very diverse. News of this reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. What you've heard today is just one message from series going through the book of Acts. Pastor Gary has provided some insightful information about the early church. And you can't help but be inspired by what you read about as the Christian church was birthed. Who are the people you admire and look to as examples of courage and faith? Is it Peter or maybe James being the first martyr? How about Stephen and the example he set? Or perhaps you're a fan of Aquila and Priscilla, a great model of a couple who followed after Jesus. Then there's the all-famous Apostle Paul, who paved the way for much missionary work to the nations. All of these people were striving to proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we hope your heart is ignited to do the same. You can reach people too, near and far, in your neighborhood, online, and even those across the world. And if you feel the Lord leading you as he did Paul, you may even find yourself following the Lord to witness in another country. In the meantime, you're welcome to listen to more messages from this series in Acts. You can do so by going to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so glad you've tuned in today to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.